Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles in the Old Testament to the book of Hosea. It's one of the minor prophets found, so if you just open your Bibles, your physical Bible, right to the middle, it's going to hit Psalm and take a right, you'll find Hosea eventually. And while you're venturing that way, we're going to use this unusual text this morning on this unusual Christmas morning as we celebrate this Christmas Sunday, uh, a truth, a truth about who God is and about our relationship with Him. We have been in this Advent series looking at what we receive at Christmas from Jesus. Not just the baby Jesus, which is beautiful and sentimental and touching, but it has to go beyond that because if it's just a story of a child being born, that happens every day. If it's a story of a child given supernaturally to a group of people that needed a supernatural action, then it becomes a part of the gospel story and it's beautiful. We have talked so far about hope. Hope is about the goodness of God and his kindness that goes beyond the depth of our sin. That we can't imagine God is so good, we can't imagine that we're so bad, and we're overwhelmed with hope when we realize that God would move in his power to overcome uh, our inequities, our weakness, our choices, our sin. We talked about peace. Peace is the thing that bridges what we have done in our lives against God and brings us back together with him. And our peace is not in our actions. It's not in our attitudes. It's in Jesus, that Jesus came to be the bridge that allowed us to restore a relationship back with God that we lost. And we talked about joy. Joy gives us a place we've never had before. And it's telling that when the angels announced that Jesus was here, didn't go to the elite, didn't go to the wealthy, didn't go to the famous, didn't go to the religious. He went to the outcasts, to the broken, to the people who needed a break. He went to shepherds in the fields who had been ostracized in their communities, but he actually offered the truth of Jesus to them first because they would receive it. Today we're going to talk about love, but we're going to use an unusual text. Uh, there was a man who came to Jesus. He was a religious man, and he was a good man. When you hear the word Pharisee, it's really easy on this side of the gospel story for you and I to equate Pharisees as a bunch of knuckleheads who were selfish and trying to make their own thing. Not necessarily so. I've done some reading recently that has altered my opinion. The Pharisees were really a group of people who had good intentions, but they decided to do for God what they wanted rather than what God asked. And so they skewed the whole thing. But their intentions were good, and there was a, a, a good-intentioned Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, and he saw Jesus doing some things that he'd never thought he would see the Messiah do, and he believed he would be the Messiah, but he didn't understand him, so he went to Jesus at night where the crowd couldn't see him, and they began to have a conversation, and Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't make fun of that. Nicodemus actually knew that the rabbis taught there were six or seven ways that you could be born again. He had done everything he possibly could, but he was hearing Jesus in a very unique way, and he realized he's probably missing something, so he said to Jesus, how, am I, how can I be born again? Unless my mother rebirths me, I don't know how to do this. And then Jesus explains to him what it means to be born in the Spirit and the Word. And then Jesus gave that very famous phrase, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This morning, I want to give you an unreasonable sermon. You're used to it, right? Because mostly we gather on Christmas Sunday and we think we well, are going to hear the story of the Christ child and we're not. 
In fact, I'm gonna give you an unreasonable text. It's a PG-13 text. It's awkward, but it's an awkward sermon for a reason because I want us to have an awkward awareness of what we were really given at Christmas, and it wasn't just sweet baby Jesus. It was something bigger. I wanna talk to you about an unreasonable love. When Nicodemus heard Jesus say what he heard Jesus say, he would have amen the first half and been broken by the second. Let me explain. When Nicodemus heard Jesus say, for God so loved, Nicodemus would have known that love. He would have been preaching that love. He would have been teaching people about the love of God. It was the second part of the phrase that would have surprised him. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world, this would have caught Nicodemus off guard. This is where he would have tapped his brakes. You see, if, if Jesus would have said, for God so loved the Jews, Nicodemus would have said amen. But when he said, for God so loved the world, you and I can't quite comprehend what the expression the world meant to a Jew. In fact, if you look up the expression the world in your scriptures, you're gonna realize this wasn't a pretty picture Jesus was painting. It, it was in fact an unreasonable love. How could God love the world that didn't love him? How could he love the people that served other idols and other things and, and gave their hearts to other purposes? If you read John's writings and you just go through the Gospel of John, he also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and was given the revelation found at the end of your scriptures. When you read this, whenever the world is presented, it's not pretty. It's not the pro-God people he's talking about. Nicodemus would have been startled by such an unreasonable love given to such an unreasonable people. Yet this is exactly what Jesus wanted him to say was that the love of God is not given because it's earned, it's given because God loves. And Jesus is a sign, the gift of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And when we look at this, we, we see what's taking place here. In John chapter three, John tells us that the world loves darkness. In John seven, that the world hates Jesus. In John 14, it hates the spirit of God. In 15, it hates the followers of God. In 16, it rejoices when God's people are troubled. In John 17, the world doesn't even know God. And in 1 John, the world is under the control of Satan. In fact, John says, to love the world is to hate God. So just give yourself a moment to hear John 3:16 for one of the first times in your life and hear it the way Nicodemus would have heard it that night because that's who he said it to. For God so loved the world, and Nicodemus would have went, I don't get it. How? And this is why we're talking about an unreasonable love. And to understand that, I want you to go with me to the book of Hosea. And I really would love if you would keep that open. I know it's going to be, appear on the screen, but I want you to see it in front of you as we walk through the text. You see, Hosea was a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? It's a person that God told to say something. That's what a prophet is. And the role of a prophet was simple. Whatever God told you to say, say. Whatever God told you to do, do. In fact, when God called prophets, he often gave them live action sermons. He not only gave them words to say, but he gave them things to physically do to depict what he was trying to accomplish. Isaiah. He tells Isaiah to strip down to his underwear, walk around barefoot, and prophesy that if the people of Israel don't repent, they're going to be taken into captivity just like he was in that moment, and it happened. He told Ezekiel to do one of the strangest things. He said, Ezekiel, I want you to shave your head, but I want you to shave it in three segments. So he gave himself white walls on one side and cut off a third of his beard. And then he cut the other side off and a third of his beard. And then lastly, he cut off the top of what was remaining of the mohawk, and then he cut off the rest of his beard. 
And why would he do this? Because every time he preached one of these segments, he was saying that God is going to divide this great nation into three pieces. Some will be left in the land desolate, some will be taken into captivity and never return, and some will go into captivity and return slowly. Live action. The prophet Jeremiah was walk, walked around with a cattle yoke around his neck, saying that they would be taken into slavery if they did not repent. And then God calls this poor, unfortunate prophet named Hosea, and he says, I want you to say something, and I want you to live it out. So here's what he told Hosea to do in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. This is a real-life relationship. This is not fictitious. God didn't make this up. He's not telling a parable. He told a real man, Hosea, I want you to go marry this woman, and she won't be the first, you won't be the first man she's with. She's promiscuous, and I want you to have a child with her and start a family with her, but it's not going to work. And it was a real-life relationship with all that comes with that, but it was also a real-life depiction of the relationship God had with his people. God would say to Hosea, I want you to do for me and depict to Israel with Gomer what I have done with my children, my wife, my family for too long, which takes us to an unreasonable situation. You want to know how unreasonable God's love is? Look at what was taking place. So in, in chapter 2, verses 2 through 13, which we won't read this morning, but I'm going to give you the highlights in just a moment of it, that he sends Hosea to go to this woman named Gomer, who he married. She gave him a child, and then she left him to go live with another man. And God says, I want you to go find her, and I want you to speak to her. I want you to identify what she's doing, not to shame her, although shame would come, but I want you to tell her what she's doing so that it can be brought to light and she can respond. So what does he do? Hosea goes to Gomer in the most unreasonable situation and he speaks to her. And he tells her four things that she's doing or has become and what she should do. Not to shame her, but to bring it to light. He begins by telling her that she was adulterous. In verse two, he says to her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. What he just said to her was, you have broken our vow. You have left me for another man. You're with another man. You have broken our marriage. I am no longer your husband. You are no longer my wife. And he just calls it out. He says, you have done this. You have been adulterous. You have given yourself to someone else after you pledged faithfulness to me. And this undercuts the myth that you can be spiritually neutral. And it is epidemic in America that it doesn't really matter. I, I can't be fanatical for Jesus, but as long as I go and I participate and I'm occasionally involved. No, spiritual neutrality is adultery. It's either you're married to God or you're not. And so God is pointing out to her the same way that, to his people, the same way that Hosea is pointing it out to Gomer, that no, this is not okay. It, is, it has broken the vows that you made. Second thing, she was idolatrous. And it's found in verse 13. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the Baals, declares the Lord. Now, what does the term Baal mean? Well, it was the prosperity God of the entire land. So whenever you needed something, if you needed rain for your crops, 
you went to Baal. If you needed the rain to stop so your crops could grow, you went to Baal. If your herds weren't big enough, you went to Baal. You offered sacrifices. You did whatever it took to offer to Baal whatever you needed to receive back, right? And so what had happened was she had pledged her loyalty, but she was returning to other sources. She was idolatrous. She was worshiping the gods of the land when God said, no, I'm enough for you. Let me be enough. Is an unreasonable love and an unreasonable situation. See, the Israelites lived in this land, and here's what they thought. And we probably would think it too, right? If one God is good, then many gods are what? Better. And God said, eh, wrong answer. But you want to know how unreasonable God's love is and how unreasonable this situation was? God called Hosea back after he told her these words, and he said, your wife is living in a terrible part of town, and the man that she's living with won't marry her, he won't care for her, and she, has, she doesn't have the things in life she needs. So God said to Hosea, take them to her. Go bring her good things, and don't expect anything in return. Hosea goes to the house to bring her these things that she needs to survive, and the man living with her who's taking advantage of her, he receives the gifts, but he doesn't tell Gomer where they came from. He gives them to Gomer, and she praises him and worships his gods because of the provision. Unreasonable? Absolutely. Verse 8, God, God knows this will occur, and he says these words. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. So she's adulterous, she's idolatrous, and then Hosea has to tell her that she's hypocritical. That she's saying one thing and living the exact opposite way. She has made herself out to be what she knows she's not. In verse 11, I will stop all of her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. She was masking her life behind spiritual devotion. She was pretending to want to worship, but all she was worshiping was whatever got her through the day. And Hosea went to her, not to shame her, but to bring it to light that you know deep inside you're not living the life you want to live. Adulterous, idolatrous, hypocritical, and lastly, she was neglectful. In verse 13, she decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. So Hosea has to go to this woman who he married and they have a child, they have a family together and he has to go to her and he says, this isn't an accident, you're willfully doing this. You're pursuing all the things of the world and you've forgotten the vow you made to me. Remember, this is a real life relationship between a husband and a wife, if you will, and a real life relationship between God and his people. It's a live action prophecy, lived out and depicted for everyone to see. The neglect is willful. She's caused pain by the damage it inflicts not only on her life, but it also brings a lot of damage to Hosea and to the children and in the community. All are embarrassed and all are broken. So in light of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, I want to ask you a question about our God, the God that we've gathered this you know, holiday weekend to celebrate. Would a loving God sit back and watch what his wife was doing without saying anything? Would a, would a loving parent watch their daughter do what Gomer's doing and not call her aside and caution her and beg her to repent? No. We know that every one of us, if we really loved someone, could not support this and would do whatever we could to help them, not shame them, but to bring the truth to light that they might repent and receive the better life than the one they're living, right? So why are we surprised 
in the midst of this unreasonable love of God in an unreasonable situation that he gives an unreasonable response. I want you to look with me at Hosea 2, verses 14 through 23. I want you to listen to what God decides to do when you and I would have chosen the opposite. Therefore, verse 14, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, creatures that move along the ground, bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. It's an unreasonable thing that God does because his love is so ridiculous. His love is so much bigger than anything we can do to alienate it. But his love also is full of justice and truth. And so how would we have handled it? We would have shamed her, we would have broken her, we would have sent her off and say, live the life you're choosing and just deal with it. But instead God does the most unreasonable thing. And I need you to know the initiative is all his. Everything that happens, he does. She doesn't earn it. She doesn't beg for it. She doesn't, she doesn't even know it's coming. She doesn't even know it's possible. And yet God, in all of his initiative, for God so loved the world that he gave. Just like Hosea did to Gomer, God will do for us. And I want to just walk through and show you what God chooses to do with his unreasonable love. He will allure her. Now, that's not a word I ever use unless I'm somewhere in the book of Hosea. All right, so what does the word allure mean in verse 14? It means to persuade by means of attractive benefits. It means to bless. To allure is to offer a blessing to this woman who deserves anything but a blessing. But it's not by the force of her will, it's by his. He is going to offer her, because of the kindness and goodness of who he is, he is going to offer her restoration. You see, every other religion in the world tells you that you need to get God's attention. Christianity is the only story that tells you you already have it. That God has been wooing you, to use a good Shakespearean term. He has been calling you and offering you goodness and mercy and love to return. He will lead her, verse 14. He will lead her into the wilderness. And that seems strange, but think about it. Whenever God's wanted to get the attention of people, he doesn't take them into the city. He takes them out of the city into creation so he can have their undivided attention. And even when he took the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness toward the promised land, it was in the wilderness that they finally understood who he was and his holiness. And God says, I'm going to draw her away from the noise. And so he will lead her. He will speak tenderly to her, verse 14. And what does that mean? That's a Hebrew idiom that means I will speak to her heart. That God will speak to each one of us the word we need to hear. It might be forgiven. It might be loved. 
It might be valued. It might be known. But God has a word. And I, and I believe that this is most possibly true completely. That every single one of us who is a disciple of Jesus Christ has had a moment in our lives where God spoke a word to our heart that we needed to hear. It was a freeing word. It was a loving word. It was a word of kindness. And it gave us hope that the God who should flick us off his globe has decided not only to keep us, but to bring us into his home and make us his. So he will speak tenderly to her heart. He will give to her. Verse 15, he's gonna give her back the vineyards that she lost. And then he's gonna make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. And of course, we all know what the Valley of Achor is, right? No. In Joshua chapter seven, the valley of Achor was a place where the Israelites rebelled against God and God's wrath came down on them. And God uses that moment to have Hosea say to Gomer, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take that moment in time that you rebelled against me and I'm gonna turn it into a door of hope. And we know on this side of the cross that in that moment that God should have taken us to the wilderness and smoked us, Jesus got smoked instead. Jesus said, I'll take that punishment. And by his punishment, that place of judgment became a door of hope. And we walked through into the promised land that Jesus provided by his blood. He will restore her, verse 16. In that day, I love this. It's one of my favorite parts of this story. He said, you will call me my husband and no longer my master. Her relationship had changed. See, she had brought in everything that broke everything. And then God brought in everything that fixed everything. Gomer didn't deserve this. She didn't earn it. It wasn't due her. And yet God said, you did all the destruction. I'm going to do all the restoration. And he did. He will protect her. Verses 18 through 20, you'll just notice here that he talks about how all creation has been working against. Since the breaking in the garden in Genesis 3, since creation was broken, God has been working to bring it all together. And then in verses 19 and 20, he uses a wonderful word, I betroth you to me forever. Notice that God's doing all the work. He says, I am giving myself to you and I will faithfully give myself to you and I will provide for you and I will not break our vow even though you broke your vow. I will not do that. And I will do it in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know exactly what we received when Jesus came. We received a righteousness and justice that we did not deserve and we received a love and compassion by Christ himself. And so everything that God said he would do, that Hosea offered to Gomer in promise, God has offered to you and I in Jesus. He will respond to her. He said, I will respond to the skies, they will respond to the earth, and the ground will produce. In other words, God is saying, I am going to, to move heaven and earth to provide for you. Nothing will stop me from keeping my vow. And this is why we have hope and joy and peace. Because of God's love. He says he will establish her in verse 23, this is another one of those moments that just makes my heart feel good. He says, I will call those that were once not my loved ones, my loved ones. And those that once were not my people are now my people. And they will be able to say, you are my God. Sounds like Jesus when he said that I used to call you servants, but now I call you friends. You used to call God ruler and judge, but now you call him Father. Father that you are not my people and now you are my people. And he says, and you will say, you are my God. Not because of what she's done, but because of who she is. And I'd like you to have your Bibles open to Hosea 3 for a moment and look with me. Because 
God says to Gomer, go pay a price for her because God would pay a price for us. And in Hosea 3, it says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. And though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, so I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. This is fascinating to me because you need to understand Old Testament history and how it flashes into our New Testament and connects itself. So the price of a slave in the Old Testament was 30 pieces of silver. Hmm, you've heard that part before, haven't you? What was the price that Judas was paid to betray Jesus? 30 pieces of silver. And what's kind of beautiful, and it's even sentimental, maybe even romantic, Hosea doesn't have 30 pieces of silver. All he's got is 15. But instead of looking at God going, I can't make it work, he sells whatever he has to get the remaining pieces. His love is so unreasonable. The situation is ridiculous. And the response is even more unreasonable. But he sells what he has and he gets 30 pieces of silver and he buys her back from the man who didn't even own her. He pays the price. And Jesus would pay the price in the way that he gave himself for 30 pieces of silver that he might become slave to our sin so you and I could be freed. You want to know why John 3.16 works? For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but find eternal life. Think about it. What did Hosea do for his wife who broke his heart and their lives together? He allured her. He led her into a place where he could speak to her. And then he spoke words to her heart. Not words of condemnation, but words of life. He gave to her, restored her, protected her, responded to her, reestablished her back in the relationship and paid the price for her. And in the midst of all of this, I need to ask you this question. Do you see what Jesus has done for you and me? He allures us. He speaks words of truth. He leads us to places where we can hear his voice. He leads us to the cross where we see his life. He speaks tenderly. He gives, he restores, he protects, he responds. He establishes us back as children of the king, adopted back into a family that we ran away from. And he paid the price for us that we could not only say we are his, but he is our God. Christmas is more than receiving a sweet baby Jesus. It's receiving King Jesus who paid the price that you and I might have life. We might have hope. We might have peace. We might have joy because we most certainly have love. John 3, 16. God so loved us, Gomer, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have life. That's what you get at Christmas. Have you opened it? Have you played with it? Have you tried it on? Because I can tell you, I can call people by name in this room who will tell you, is it easy? No. Is it good, church? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. If you don't have hope, joy, peace, and love, you're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in relationships. You're not going to find it in work. You're not going to find it in fame or trophies. You're going to find it in Jesus. That's why God gave him to us. And if you don't have him or you had him and you misplaced him, please understand, Gomer, I'm the biggest Gomer in the room. 
And if he lets me have a place in his kingdom, then all he says is leave the life of adultery, idolatry, neglect, leave it all, follow me. If you wanna know what it means to follow Jesus, that's why we exist, to share with you real life, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and how worth it it is. He is worthy of our worship. For God so loved our world that he sent Jesus for us, Gomer's included. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.